Entrepreneurship is a wild ride. It's a roller coaster. Uh, there are, and every day is a roller coaster, right? You have these incredible ups and then incredible downs, but that's what makes it super fun. Uh, but yeah, you have to have the stomach for it. <laughs> it's not for everyone, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I wouldn't trade my experience as a mom, as a female founder, as an Arizona-based uh, company. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I've, I've loved every minute of it. Hi, and welcome to the Sliced Podcast, where we share startup stories from founders, investors, and CEOs from across the globe. A little bit about our platform, Startup Blog Post, is that we're a community where aspiring entrepreneurs and venture capital ecosystem stakeholders can share meaningful insights, engage with colleagues and peers, and stay informed. Hi, and welcome back to the Sliced Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Ahrens. Today's guest is Rebecca Clyde, co-founder and CEO of Baco.ai. Baco.ai is a conversational marketing platform enabling meaningful and intelligent conversations between businesses and their customers. Rebecca is an award-winning marketing leader and has been recognized as one of the most influential women in Arizona in 2020. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Emily. Good morning, and thanks for having me on the Slice podcast. It's great to be here. Of course. Morning it is, so we're just going to get warmed up into the day together as we dive into your background. Sure, let's do it. Okay, so looks like you went to BYU, is that right? Correct, for undergrad. Okay, and so looks like the concentration was communications, which was actually similar to mine. So when you were in that track, did you have any idea at the time, like what you wanted to be later or what job you wanted at the time? Not, not exactly. I knew that I wanted to work in technology. Um, I had this really great opportunity to do a PR internship while I was in school with a technology-oriented public relations firm. And so, as you know, Utah is actually, there's a lot of startups there. The technology community is, is quite strong. And um, my job as a PR intern was to help get coverage for startups that were trying to get kind of in that pre-IPO stage, they were trying to get a lot of buzz mm -hmm. before they went uh, public. And so initially, you know, I was just writing press releases and researching. And then as I got better at that, I got to actually come to the meetings with the CEOs and I got to meet a lot of founders. Um, and then eventually uh, I was able to even tour, uh, go on these press tours with them where we would go to uh, the Bay Area and meet with reporters and analysts at there. And then we would take them to New York and take them to Boston to meet with all the technology press and industry analysts in these different cities. And so traveling with these founders and really having to articulate the story of their startup kind of um, created a little, I would say, seed of mm -hmm. like, okay, this is something that I would like to do someday. You know, I was so young. I was in my very early 20s. I was just finishing school. Uh, but I immediately knew like, this is the world I want to be in. And so uh, that was a tremendous opportunity for me to just kind of get a, a view into what the technology startup world looked like. And then eventually I was able to get a job. I parlayed that whole internship experience into a job at Intel. Uh, they came on campus, they recruited, and I ended up in Arizona working at Intel. And of course, you know, at that time, they were like the, 
biggest technology company in the world. It was a fantastic place to get a, an education in the world of technology and the business of technology. Um, and so that was kind of how I kicked off my career uh, in tech. That's so neat. So yeah, I feel like definitely planted the seed there of that entrepreneurial type. I, you probably saw like the energy and things like that. So how long were you at Intel before Ideas Collide? And then could you tell us what Ideas Collide was? So I was at Intel eight years, uh, okay. which is a lot of That's a, a lot good of amount years. of time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the wonderful thing about my time there is I, I really got a, a full, I would say, a holistic education in the business of technology. Uh, because they would do these things at Intel where they didn't want to keep you in any one job for a long time. They were big on rotating you through the business. So, you know, there were times when I worked in the product uh, organizations and I worked in marketing, supporting the product, or maybe I would work more on a technology innovation and research oriented team. So it was great because I got to see um, so many different sides of the business. I went and worked on the channel team where I was responsible for organizing Intel's um, sales channel, for example, and partnerships with uh, channel vendors. And then I did another rotation through Intel's emerging market mm -hmm. uh, business strategy team. So I got to think about, you know, where should Intel go next? What markets does Intel need to be thinking about in 10 and 15 years from now? Um, what uh, product lines are going to be important to the world in 10 or 15 years? And so it was really cool. I got to kind of get this very nice uh, 360 view of what the technology industry really was from many, many different facets. Then uh, I ended up leaving Intel during my second maternity leave. So I had been there uh, through my first and then I had my second child and I also had my sabbatical. So Intel does this thing where they give you a sabbatical uh, where it's two months paid time off. Plus I had my maternity paid time off time. And so I really had a lot of time to think like, what do I wanna be doing next? I have two young children now. I'm a mom. Uh, that world of Intel was a fantastic place, but it required a ton of travel and mm -hmm. it required just long hours. I was working on global teams. So my day would start at 6 a.m. working on with the Europe team. And then it would go till 9 p.m. working with the Asia team. And I was just like, I don't know if this is going to be great uh, when I have <laughs> young, young children. <laughs> You'll run and out those, of hours. Uh, that's those just days are long. <laughs> yeah, that's not enough hours. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no. I mean, easily, I would be on conference calls sometimes till ten or eleven at night, and then I'd have to be back on the phone again at five or six in the morning oh with gosh. another time zone. So I was like, you know, I probably should think of a different career now that my kids are young <laughs> and I have these little babies to take care of, uh, and I'm not getting much sleep to begin with because of children. So uh, it really, you know, I, during that time, you know, I was just thinking about that. I hadn't made any decisions and I got a phone call from an old, uh, a former colleague of mine from my undergrad who was like, Hey, you know, we're doing, we really need somebody with your expertise in our company. Could you, would you be willing to just come in and consult for a short period of time? Um, come talk to our CEO. He needs some help with these things that you're really versed on. And I said, sure, you know, that sounds great. Like I'm, I'm on my sabbatical. This is the perfect time to be thinking about other things. And I just did it almost for fun, right? Because right. I was excited to like, like a side help somebody out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just like a fun thing to do while I was on my maternity leave slash sabbatical. And it turned out that it was a super awesome opportunity. It was also a younger company. You know, they were just getting to 100 million in revenue. There was a lot of really exciting things going on there. And the CEO basically said, hey, we would, we, we really would like to contract you to, to help us longer term. Would you be willing to do a one-year contract? 
And I was like, wow, I would have to leave my Intel job to do this. And so we worked out some numbers to make it really worthwhile where I could be like significantly increasing my (laughs) salary. I was going to have to bring on a team to help support this because it was going to be bigger than just me. And we made it all work out. And that was like my exit from from Intel, I went back and said, Hey guys, sorry, I'm not coming back. Love you all. You were awesome, but I've got to go do this new thing. And that was, I never looked back. That was the the, kind of the beginning, the early days of ideas collide. Um, We ended up building a whole team to support, not just this client, but many others uh, grew that to be a $12 million agency uh, with services revenue and a 60 person team. Wow. That's awesome. So it says, were you co, did you eventually become co-founder of that then? Of ideas collide. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that okay. Was, I was <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That's so neat. And so, how long were you at Ideas Collide for? So, I mean, that company is still going. Um, I'm still one of the owners. Uh, it's been now 15 years. Oh since wow. That day. Okay. Mm-hmm. And since so we started that first uh, meeting that I just told you about. Yeah. And so. Is it more of an agency type company or what exactly is the need that it's filling? Yeah. So Ideas Collide is a full service marketing agency um, where my focus was primarily was around marketing automation. So uh, a lot of large enterprises, including companies like Intel, they invest in these big platforms like Salesforce or Eloqua or Marketo or all of the above many others, AEM, Adobe Experience Manager, because they're using these platforms to really organize their entire digital experience for their customers. These are massive investments that they make and they're highly complex products, uh, especially if you're trying to do very personalized, dynamically oriented content programming through it. So what ended up happening was, you know, they make these investments and then they realize, wow, we don't have the expertise or even the resources internally to to keep these Mm -hmm. engines running constantly, right? Because they need a lot of content. They need a lot of customization in terms of like, how you implement these personalized campaigns. And so because I had learned how to do that stuff while I was at Intel, um, what they ended up doing was a lot of these companies would come to us to say, hey, we just need somebody to manage like our entire, all of our campaigns in Salesforce or all of our campaigns in Eloqua. Can you guys just do this for us? And so we would build a team that would configure their instance and then keep them humming successfully all these campaigns over time. So that was like, the core of the business. And then we also got into other things like people would say, oh, and can you also do our search? And can you also do our social media stuff? And can you also build our new website? And can you also help us with our new um, redesign? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, so we ended up doing a whole host of things. But my expertise originally was around marketing automation. Okay, gotcha. And so then do you remember the moment that you first had the idea for Botco? Yes, actually, it was, I, I didn't. So I didn't have the idea. It was, it was the person that I met that gave me the idea. Okay. So I was at a girl, I was actually at a girls in tech event. Uh, girls in tech is this big global organization that helps support women in technology. And I had gone there to help to recruit. I was like, Hey, I need to recruit talent. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some awesome women at this event. So I was there recruiting and there were some great speakers. They'd flown in speakers from all over the world, a lot from the Bay area. And the conference was here in Phoenix. When I say here, sorry, I know you guys are everywhere. But when I say here, I mean in in Phoenix, Arizona. And um, I was actually just kind of standing at the booth uh, during like a break. 
And um, somebody came up to me, one of the speakers, her name is Anu Shukla. I actually just watched her give a talk on fundraising, how to raise money for your startup, which was really good. And so she came up to me and I was like, oh, great talk. You know, thanks for giving, you know, coming here, presenting such great content. Where are you from? I mean, I just started chit chat. And she looked at me, she's like, can I borrow your charger? <laughs> My phone just ran out of juice. I'm like, sure. Yeah. So she plugs in her phone and we just started talking. Uh, you know, because she had to charge her phone, so she was kind of <laughs> You're stuck standing with me for yeah. a while, right? <laughs> you know, you have that situation where you just are forced to talk to each yeah. other. But of course, she was a lovely person, super smart. She had done a marketing automation startup in the Silicon in in the Bay Area. Uh, she had exited it, um, so she and I just like immediately. It was like meeting like my twin <laughs> in another place, like on the other side of the equation. Right. I was like, oh my gosh, I built my entire career around marketing automation, my company, that's what we do. Uh, this is so fantastic. Tell me about your company, what you did, you know, her, her business that she had started and oh, wow, she had this massive exit. So it was like this, like match made in heaven when we first met. And uh, we ended up talking about a lot of things that day and, and continued the conversation. And at some point we started remarking on, hey, isn't it weird that like marketing automation hasn't really evolved and there's so much opportunity to make it more on demand and more real time, but nobody's really doing that. And she's like, well, we should just start that company. That was her, right? Because she's yeah. from the Bay Area. That's how she thinks. Everything's like, we just start a company that does it. I was thinking like, how do we get somebody else to do it? Right. Who and can we thinking, pay no. to do it? <laughs> yeah. That's how I was thinking. And she's like, no, 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 we do it. We're the ones who do it. And I'm like, really? We do it. She's like, yeah, that's what we do. We start companies and we solve the problems that we see. So that's why I say it was really, if she had never said that, I don't know if I would have ever even considered right. uh, starting a company to, to do that. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so that was, that was how it started. Right there at the, at the charger uh, wow. as a result of her phone dying. Wow. And how many years ago was that now? It's been, I want to say a little bit over four years since we met and okay. it was, uh, you know, we, we didn't, it's not like we started the company that day. It was just right. the beginning of a conversation. Um, shortly after I flew to the Bay area a few times and we would meet and kind of try to like flesh out this idea. Then we, she brought in her former co-founder, Chris Meda, who is now our uh, CTO and also another co-founder. And, you know, he had 20 years of academic computer science background. He had done a bunch of companies as well. He'd been the CTO at a publicly traded company. I mean, he brought incredible credentials, mm -hmm. MIT, Carnegie Mellon, PhD. So like all of the street cred <laughs> necessary from a technical standpoint. And so it was kind of like a really nice match because, you know, a new had the serial entrepreneurship background. I had the customer, like the, 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 I, I could kind of represent the persona of who would buy our product mm -hmm. because that's the world I had really serviced and lived in. And then Chris had the technical chops to deliver on the promise. And so we made a really nice team in terms of being able to represent those different needs that the business would have. Um, so it took us about, I want to say, six to 12 months to validate the idea. We did a lot of like slides and prototyping, and then we would take them to people and get feedback and then iterate. And we probably did like a hundred of these feedback sessions wow. where we were just trying to get the idea really distilled down um, so that we could build a product that made sense to the market, right? We didn't just want to build a product and then go find out it was the wrong product. Mm -hmm. We were kind of iterating as we went. And then during those interviews, that's when our first customer came about that said, you know, I really love what you're doing. 
Um, can I be your first customer? And if so, can I prepay you guys so that you can build this thing for us? Like, so that we can be the first person to use it. A good sign. And I feel like. yeah, so that was, that's when we finally <laughs> knew we had arrived at the idea. Right. <laughs> when somebody said, I'm willing to pay you right now, even right. though I know you don't have it, but if this is what you're building, I I'm want I'm in. That's awesome. Do you remember, I mean, were you nervous at all to, to leave what you were doing and, and to go out on your own and start this essentially? Or, or did you just feel confident right off the bat? I, I must be strange because a lot of people ask me that question and I'm like, no, that's the exciting thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, why is that? Why would that be scary? That's exciting. Yeah. No, it's like, I, I, I'm the type of person that gets energized by um, creating things. And so for me, that's just all possibility, all promise. It's great. Like, I just think starting things and getting something new going, creating something that the world needs that didn't exist before that's super exciting to me. Mm -hmm. So no, I wasn't scared. I was thrilled. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's great. I don't, I don't know that I wouldn't have been scared. (laughs) (laughs) And when you look back at your experiences kind of throughout the past four years, is there a moment that stands out or an obstacle that stands out that you had to overcome to get to where you are? And then ultimately, how did you end up overcoming that? Oh, so many. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I don't even know where to begin. (laughs) a favorite obstacle the, is that an the oxymoron obstacles are, <laughs> the obstacles are incessant uh i mean of course there were tons of technical obstacles because the problem we we're trying to solve is actually quite challenging from a technical point of view so it just required a lot of like stick like okay try this throw it out try this throw it out try this so it's just a tremendous amount of patience that one needs to have to go through all those iterations and finally get to something that works mm-hmm. so i would say that was number one, and and just not getting discouraged through that process. I would say another major obstacle, of course, was um, just having to uh, create the enough, um, I would say, confidence, because you have to be like, kind of delusional to do these things to to some degree, because like, I have to be able to see a future that doesn't exist, and convince myself every day when I get out of bed, that that future is viable, and that I'm going to get there. Right. Because if I don't believe that, then how am I even going to get through the day? Because the, the barrage of problems that come are just never ending. Right. Right. And so I'd say just the mental like toughness to every day, be able to see through the challenges and see through the, the muck of the day and say, no, but this is what we're building. This is the future we're envisioning and just sticking to that, uh, you know, no matter what happened in a given day. Mm-hmm. Um I would say at the beginning too, uh, this was before, a little bit before COVID happened, which was kind of funny, but, you know, we started talking to some investors and started to flow, float our ideas around too, because we needed to raise money, right? We had built the initial prototype. We had a couple of customers that were paying, but now we were ready to launch. And so this was kind of the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020 before COVID happened. And so I was starting to do some rounds and talk to investors. And everybody was saying, you're never going to get your company off the ground with the founders in different cities. You're never going to get the company off the ground with the headquarters in Arizona. You know, there's no such thing as a billion dollar company that's headquartered in Arizona, which is actually not true because LifeLock was founded here and many other great companies, but everyone will tell you nobody has done it. Um, And so there's a lot of like uh, naysayer Mm -hmm. energy out there. And uh, what was funny was that, of course, everyone was proven wrong because then COVID happened and everybody else was scrambling to figure out how do we manage a virtual team? 
how do we build products when we're remote? And we were like, we've been doing this. We've already built products remotely. We've already done all of these things remotely. So we had to, we had to do literally zero adjustment when COVID happened because we were already set up 100% in a virtual productive environment. We were already doing virtual standups. We were already using Zoom like pros. We were already using all these um, virtual collaboration tools to innovate, to whiteboard, to brainstorm. So for us, it was yeah. a muscle we had already developed. And so we didn't lose time making those adjustments. So those are just a few of the, of the right. you, you said, yeah, no, <laughs> what that's is the biggest great. one? I just went through a bunch. <laughs> no, that's great. And I, that's really unique. I don't know, whereas a lot of companies could have said that, you know, when COVID happened a couple of years ago. I mean, that a really unique and awesome position to be in that you were just, you didn't have to waste any time. You could keep going and keep, keep the wheels moving, if you will. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and even to this day, I hear people saying like, oh, you know, it's so hard to innovate remotely. And I'm like, what are you guys talking about? We're really doing, <laughs> we're doing product releases every month and we've been doing them for two years now. Yeah. <laughs> like if you can't do a product release in a virtual environment yet, like get with the times you, just, yeah, <laughs> this is the new reality. Like you've got to figure this out. <laughs> Hi everyone. It's Sam. I'm just stopping by to tell you about our show portfolio pitch. If you're curious to see what's on the other side of the coin between founder and investor relationships, then this is the show for you. We sit down and talk to investors and get to know the person behind the investment. Go give it a listen on your favorite podcasting platform and let us know what you think by giving it a review. Coming up, Rebecca gives us a look into her leadership style, work ethic, and what's next for botco.ai. Well, you mentioned uh, mental toughness. So I kind of, I want to touch on your experiences as a female founder. I know that you're co-managing director of Girls in Tech, which you name dropped a little bit ago. But what has your experience as a female founder been? And then could you talk, also I know that you're a mom, about the importance and how do you strike that work-life balance? So like a two-part question. Sure. You know, I think the female thing is a little bit tough because it's the only experience I have. So it's not like I could say like, this is what it's like (laughs) to be a male founder versus a female founder, right? I just know my own experience. Um, But I would say, you know, I I do compare notes. I've been through a few accelerators, Alchemist Accelerator in the Bay Area, and then in where there were only like three female founders in our entire cohort of 25, 30 companies. Mm -hmm. So I could, you know, most of my peers and colleagues were men. And so I can compare notes to um, maybe how we were received during investor meetings or in pitch back, uh, pitch feedback sessions. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely um, a different set of questions that we get asked. So it's much more likely that a female founder um, has to prove more traction, has to prove more. It's like, we don't get, um, you know, there's, you hardly find any female founders. Now you're starting to see a little bit more, but before, even when I was raising in 2020 and 2019, you didn't see a lot of women that were getting funded pre-product, for example. Right. Like that was almost unheard of or pre-revenue, right? That's like nobody would fund women pre-product or pre-revenue. Now you're starting to see it a little bit. So I'm happy that, that that's changing, but that's highly unlikely. So I would say that that's the first thing. It's like, we actually have to prove ourselves a lot more and be further along mm-hmm. for people to finally believe what we're saying uh, is true. And it's actually kind of nice when it finally happens and you see like the same person that didn't believe a year yeah, ago come like, back well, here and I be am. like, I'm still here. 
it's still me. <laughs> and not only that, but I raised three and a half million since you and I talked and you said no. And look where I am now. And you said I could never build a business in this sector. And look, I have 30 customers paying me handsomely for this product. There so, you, go. you know, <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of like fun vindication in that. Uh, so I would say that's the first thing. And then um, you asked about ma- uh, motherhood and balancing children and all of that. You know, I've just taken more of an integrated approach to my career and family. And so what I mean by that is that I actually bring my children along with me to a lot of my work. Mm-hmm. So my kids, you know, if I need to prepare for a, a keynote and I, or a pitch, they are my pitch practice buddies. Well, they, so I'm sure they're brutally they, honest. <laughs> yes, they are. They're, they're the toughest audience. Trust me. They're really like, that's horrible, mom. Don't say that. That's so corny or whatever. Like they'll tell yeah. me like what doesn't work. So uh, they actually give me really great feedback and they help me out with a lot of stuff. I've actually had them test my product. I have them actually look at my product and tell me what they think. You know, I think my, I'm lucky because my kids are actually teenagers now. And one of the things that's fantastic about teens is they kind of are my lens into the future. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel a little bit lucky. Like I have this little uh, lab inside my house where I can test my technology on teens because I think Gen Z has such an interesting view into what the world will be like. You know, for example, they'll say things like, mom, nobody wants to read email. Like, why are you on email all day long? That's horrible. That's the worst technology in the world. And I'm like, you're right. It is. That's why I'm building a future where it doesn't exist. You know? <laughs> or uh, they'll be like, mom, you guys need to do more stuff with voice and video. Like that's where the, fu- you know, that's what we want. And so you guys, you know, you guys need to be building products there. And so it's really cool because they, uh, I in- incorporate them into my business. I test ideas on them. I test my pitches on them, let them look at my product. I, I tell them, Hey, I'm thinking about this. What do you guys think? Because they're fully, I mean, they're, they're actually quite um, intuitive and, and they know what the world needs mm-hmm. in a sense and so that they can be my sounding board and be like, yeah, that sounds good. Or no, that sounds like a really bad idea. That's so great. And I'm sure it's great. For so that's them. how I, that's how I do it. <laughs> yeah. It's for them to be a part of the ride and to see their mom working and, and doing all of these, you know, boss woman things. Speaking of, I couldn't <laughs> yeah. even, we don't have time for me to read the list, but I have a lot of awards in front of me that you have received. And instead of reading the whole list, I'll allow you. Is there an award that you've received that was particularly impactful for you or special to you? I mean, we have the Women in Business. I mean, Arizona Governor's Mentorship Award. I mean, is there one that stands out where you're like, wow, this is an honor? I'm sure they're all an honor. I would say the Athena Award is probably one of the biggest in that whole lineup of awards, just because it represents a lot of facets of leadership. It represents not only um, one's contribution to an economic uh, side of things, like, hey, I'm building a, a good-sized business and um, creating opportunities for jobs, which is what a lot of that uh, award is for. But they also look at one's contribution from a leadership and a community and a mentorship standpoint. So there's um, when they evaluate winners for that award, they're not just saying who made a ton of money or who was able to create a ton of jobs, right? They're also saying, and how is this, how are they also paving a way forward for other women leaders? Mm-hmm. How are they pulling up other women? How are they contributing to making more opportunities available? For future leaders too. And so, and I do spend a lot of time mentoring. I spend a lot of time developing other people 
and uh, showing some others the, the way like, hey, these were my mistakes. Don't make those. Here's a better way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's a shortcut. Um, I do spend a lot of time doing that. And that's why I appreciate that award, because it really recognizes leaders that are that are contributing beyond just themselves, uh, but trying to create other leaders also. Um, so I would say that's probably one of my favorite awards. That's so wonderful. And congratulations on all those, by the way. That's that's so great. And speaking of leadership, is there if you could say I know there's way more than one, but if you could say, what do you believe the key thing is to being a great leader? Um, for me, it's always about replacing myself. So I like to think about, um, how am I, uh, training my replacement and how am I creating an environment in my organization where everybody is always training their replacement. And I know that sounds like very simple, but the reason it's important is because it creates a different mindset, right? I think there's a, sometimes this idea that the leader is the all-knowing, that the leader is the all-powerful, right? Mm-hmm. The center of the universe concept. And I actually completely disagree with that concept. Um, I would rather see a, an organization where the leadership is not about themselves, but it's really about how am I paving a way for the others? And so if I'm thinking about, hey, who is my successor or successors? How do I teach them everything I know so that I'm not a single point of failure? And how do I develop them to actually be better than me? Like, hey, I made these mistakes, but maybe you don't need to make them. Let Mm -hmm. me show you what I did that could have been better. And maybe you can do it better. Um, Like I always tell people when they join, like, Hey, this is how I did it, but I don't think this is the best way. I bet you can come up with a better way. And that's what I mean. Like for Mm -hmm. me, leadership is about really opening up our mind to the fact that somebody else can always be doing our own jobs better and then creating openings for those opportunities to really, those people and those opportunities to, to develop and to rise. Yeah, I love that. That's an interesting concept. And then I'm also curious, you mentioned mentorships. So, I'm, so you, I'm sure you give out a lot of advice, but what is one piece of advice you have for another founder or maybe a founder that's just getting started in their journey? Yeah, you know, I see this a lot um, in the, the founder community. There's kind of like this, um, I would say there's kind of two types of founders. There's the ones that are doing it because they um, have a good idea and they're, uh, you know, do it, you know, they just have a really good idea and they want to pr- like give the world that idea, which I think is great. But I think that to be truly a great founder and to, to go overcome all the obstacles we have, there has to be more than just that. It's like, you have to have this vision into the future and to believe in it so um, wildly. Like you just have to be Mm -hmm. so incredibly committed to that vision that no matter what happens, you're going to keep plowing through. And so I see a lot of founders that kind of start to crumple when things don't go great. Like, oh, you know, I'm not getting investment or I'm having a hard time uh, getting my first set of customers, or I'm having a hard time with churn, whatever their issue is. And they kind of start to like disbelieve their own idea and then they can't make it. Right. And that's like the biggest uh, challenge that I see. And so I always tell people, like, if you don't believe in your idea to the end of the earth, then don't do it. Right. And then (laughs) because it's so hard and every challenge you can imagine is going to come your way. And I feel like if you don't Mm -hmm. believe in it, it would 
to the nth degree, it would almost make it hard for you to go and sell that idea because people want to they want to be able to see your passion and it should almost be radiating from you in order for other people, other investors to really feel that from you. It has to have an authentic, you know, vibe. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, for me, you know, I always say like what made me overcome all that? It's like I was just willing to work harder. I, I, I think that I just had this ridiculous work ethic. I was willing to do more meetings. I was willing to do more outreach. I was willing to, you know, do more outreach. I was willing to just do more. Mm -hmm. You know, I would watch other founders kind of after 30 meetings get discouraged and stop. And I'm like, 30, you're just getting going. Like I'm on number 300, (laughs) but that's what it takes. It's like this really relentless, um, just uh, determination that is unstoppable because 30 is never going to be enough. You know, there's, you're going to need to do a hundred, 200. Right. And so you just have to keep plugging away at it casting that wide net. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then, you know, what's next for botco.ai? I mean, what do you see in the future? You mentioned, you know, your children helping you with that lens, but really how do you envision the product in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, right now we're very focused on chat, like text oriented chat. And so like we just released this really cool new product that automates conversations around insurance uh, verification of benefits. So I know it sounds very specialized. We're, we're selling a lot into the healthcare space. And what we discovered was that in the healthcare patient journey, one of the biggest drop-off points is that whole insurance piece. When people are trying to figure out, do you accept my insurance? How much will my copay be? What will my patient responsibility be for this treatment, surgery, you know, name your program, uh, name your procedure. And so we're automating, we're, we're constantly thinking about what conversations can we automate? What workflows can we automate to really help bridge those gaps and make it easier for health consumers and and just consumers in general to uh, use, use a product or service and for the business to get more revenue, right? So we're always thinking about that. Um, So that's kind of where our product is today from a a chat standpoint, Mm -hmm. but where we're going to go is really thinking about the analytics, really thinking about the data that surrounds those conversations and how they better inform businesses on what they need to be doing better and what they need to be doing uh, to really orient themselves more around the consumer and around their customers' needs. And so we're giving what we, what I always say is like, we give our customers, our business customers, the window into what their consumers really want. And it's, it's such a unique um, piece of information that it's high, high value for them. You know, they can see like, wow, if we introduce, we're getting a lot of questions about um, say this type of need, why don't we open up a whole new line of service around that? And that opens up new revenue streams for them, right? Those are the kinds of things that our product can provide Mm -hmm. um, that is very unique to our conversational approach. And then, you know, there's the data piece and the analytics and being able to give our customers a better view into their customer. And then of course, like my children said, mom, you need to do voice, you need to do video, right? we're definitely moving in that direction in the future because that's where we will, uh, that's how we're going to engage. I can't imagine in 10 years, we're still going to be going to a website and pointing so. and clicking. We're just so. going to be walking around, making demands into the air, <laughs> into the ether. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. That's how we're going to get things. And so we have to prepare businesses to have the infrastructure, to have the technical uh, prowess, to be able to handle that expectation that consumers are coming forward with 
Because my kids, that's what they're going to expect when they grow <laughs> up and they have economic, right. uh, you know, they have money in their wallets that they want to spend. That's how they want to buy things. Right. That's how they want to consume. And so we have to be prepared for that. So neat. Well, I look forward to seeing it all happen for you. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and then, you know, I am curious, Rebecca, for you personally, what do you feel like, how do you, will you ultimately measure your success? Oh, wow. That's, that's like a big question. It's a really hard question. That's why I leave it for the end. Yeah. You know, for me, maybe because I'm a parent, I measure everything by, by um, what I felt I have taught my children. And so that's the most important legacy to me in the end. It's like, did I raise children that are going to be great contributors to this world? Right. Are they doing good things? Are they, do they have an ethos that is centered around humanity and caring for others. To me, that's what's most important in the end, right? Um, and so, and I feel pretty good about it. I mean, my uh, my daughter, she's uh, just gone to college and she's studying um, to be a teacher, to do special ed for kids with special needs. Awesome. And I watch her, she's already volunteering with kids with special needs. And I just like, wow, I, you know, she is just so committed to helping this very vulnerable population. Like she thinks about it all the time. She's constantly committed to and passionate around that. And so I think like, okay, you know, whatever I did, I, that's very <laughs> I selfless her to know that, that she can make a difference in the world mm -hmm. and on, on this particular front. And then I watch my other kids also think about the world and like how they can make a contribution. So that's, that's probably the measuring stick for me, really. It's like, do I leave a generation in my own that I have control over, right? The, the little people that I made. <laughs> am I uh, am I helping them see the world and be positive contributors to the world? I mean, in the end, that's all that really matters. I love that. And then, is there anything else you'd like to add about your journey or or the future of Botco or just a fun fact? Anything at all before I let you go? I just have to say, entrepreneurship is a wild ride. It's a roller coaster. Uh, there are, and every day is a roller coaster, right? You have these incredible ups and then incredible downs, but that's what makes it super fun. Uh, but yeah, you have to have the stomach for it. <laughs> it's not for everyone, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I wouldn't trade my experience as a mom, as a female founder as an Arizona based uh, company, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I've, I've loved every minute of it, despite the ups and downs. It's That's been awesome. awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for carving out the time for me today. And I really loved hearing everything. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yes, of course, Emily. It's great to talk to you today. To learn more about today's guest, please visit startupblogpost.com. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of Sliced, please email newsroom at startupblogpost.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.